Welcome to Make Sure Stories, an open-ended fantasy and sci-fi podcast for kids. We have invented a world that our imaginations can explore, and you are invited to join us by listening and adding your ideas for future episodes. So please visit our website at makeshiftstories.com and get involved. Now, sit back, relax, and close your eyes as we listen to our story, Episode 6, Off Course. The dust tickled Tim's nose, causing him to cough until his eyes watered. He was lying face down in the dimly lit hallway. The old vinyl floor smelt of cleaning fluid and long-forgotten dirty socks. Tim's face turned red with embarrassment. How could he have stumbled on the stair? Only one step, and he had tripped, falling flat on his face in Margot Byland's front hallway. Feeling like a fool, he collected himself off the floor, grabbed the bowl of candy that was sitting on an old card table, and headed back outside, where Adrian and Margot were waiting. As Tim returned, Adrian stood frozen in the cool moonlight, staring at Margot. His body was as tense as a cat about to pounce on a mouse. And for a second, Tim thought that Adrian was about to attack. That second seemed to expand into a minute. Then, without warning, the scene dissolved into the brilliant blue of a midsummer sky. A dream, or an hallucination, thought Tim. One of many he had been having recently. Tim closed his eyes, trying to refocus his mind, then opened them again and looked up. A cumulus cloud lazily glided into view. To Tim, it looked like a triffle, or maybe an odd sort of squirrel. He concentrated on the unsuspecting cloud and tried to make it disappear. Bit by bit, it boiled away to nothing. Tim smiled, then started to focus his mind on another cloud when he felt an impatient tap on his shoulder. Popping clouds again, eh Tim? Adrian broke Tim's concentration as he slid onto the graffiti-covered concrete bench. Annoyed, Tim kept staring at the sky. Oh, so did you manage to find out anything useful? Or are you going to tell me some dumb story about parallel universes? Hey, they really exist. I can't help it if your race is too blind to see them. But this isn't a parallel reality. Things are just a bit off here, and I haven't figured out why. Adrian's patience was starting to wear thin, and it showed in his tone. He needed time to recharge. The journey to Ceres and back, plus the changes to the timeline he had had to make before he left, had cost him dearly. They needed to find a safe place to rest and talk before by-law enforcement caught them without the proper paperwork. Tim... Tim tried to ignore Adrian. Tim, we'd better move on. We're in a loitering zone that requires a permit, and that security guard over there is giving us the eye. We can't afford a ticket. Let's go. We'll talk while we're walking. 
We'd better get moving now, Adrian emphasized as he stood up, pulling Tim along with him. The security guard was now staring straight at them, waving his arms, aggressively indicating that he wanted to talk. Don't look back, Tim. Pretend you don't see him. Adrian picked up his pace as Tim glanced over his shoulder. He's walking this way, Adrian, and he looks mad. Run for it. Tim and Adrian made a quick dash across a busy four-lane street. Cars honked and tires squealed as the two boys danced between the traffic with the security guard in hot pursuit. Two long buses and a transport truck stuck in slow-moving traffic blocked the guard's way long enough for Tim and Adrian to disappear amongst the throngs of pedestrians crowding the storefronts on the opposite side of the street. Not wanting to attract attention, Tim and Adrian walked casually but quickly away, trying to put as much distance as they could between themselves and park security. They had just arrived a few hours previous in the early morning, landing in a remote part of City Park. It all looked familiar, but sort of different. At first, Adrian had thought he missed the target. He hadn't had much time to clearly visualize the place and time before they jumped, so they could easily be a bit off course. Adrian had left Tim in what he thought was a relatively safe place in the park and wandered through streets that on the surface were exactly like where they had lived but were thoroughly and completely different at the same time. It was a different and apparently uncaring culture that now inhabited the world. There were innumerable new rules and laws posted everywhere on street signs and billboards that covered everything from where you could sit to how to eat a hot dog. It was unbelievable and bylaw enforcement officers were everywhere, constantly watching everyone. Adrian knew that to survive here, they couldn't afford to stand out. Tim, I took a quick tour around. It looks the same, but something has happened here. And it's not a parallel universe, so don't bug me about that again, Adrian quietly added. We need to learn the rules and blend in as quick as possible. It's very easy to fall afoul of the law here. There's too many rules. And how do you propose to do that? We're 12 years old, homeless, and wandering the streets, breaking laws we don't even know exist. Tim barely managed to dodge an older man who was accompanied by a gaggle of bodyguards that plowed upstream against the noon hour traffic leaving a human wake in their path. I bet he even broke some laws being in that guy's way. Don't look now, but there's another security guard staring at us. A tall, menacing-looking guard, dressed in dark blue, carrying an array of crowd suppression tools attached to a heavy utility belt, drifted in front of Tim and Adrian, blocking their way. Hello, boys. It's past kid's noon. Do you have a permit to be out on the street? Tim turned white and froze. But without missing a beat, Adrian calmly replied, Sorry, officer. We're on our way to our new job at the Europa Cafe. We got lost. Here's our work permits. Late on your first day, eh? Grumbled the security guard. Getting lost. Hmm. That excuse is as old, worn out, and believable as a phony pre-Great Alliance dollar bill. 
roughly grabbing the permits from Adrian. The big guard examined them, then attached a plastic docket. There, he said with a self-satisfied smirk. The fine for stupidity will come out of your first paycheck. Now, get going or I'll fine you for non-productivity during work hours as well. The guard handed back their permits, impatiently gesturing them along. Tim and Adrian obediently obliged, blending back into the mass of humanity flowing down the street, rushing to their destinations before the end of the lunch break. Adrian steered Tim down a side street. Posters with ads for everything, from jeans that molded to your body shape, to beachfront condos in Iceland, papered every free centimeter of space. Flyers, newspaper, candy wrappers and garbage covered the sidewalk like grass. It was hotter and muggier than Tim ever remembered. And, as the heat of the day grew, the blue sky had succumbed to a hazy, sickly brown. Trucks and cars choked the streets, belching out clouds of noxious-smelling yellow and black smoke that was starting to aggravate Tim's asthma. Everything seemed exaggerated. The cars were bigger, people were more aggressive, and the noise. The noise was everywhere. Speakers blaring ads, TV announcers screaming from screens mounted outside the densely packed shops, street vendors trying to hawk their wares. It was a caricature of the world they had come from. Shouting into Tim's ear, Adrian tried to make himself heard above the noise around him. I found a job and a place for us to stay. How? Tim yelled back. We're only 12 years old. We can't work. Kids are required to work here, Tim. They start around 10. You only go to school if your parents are wealthy enough, and if not, you work. So I got us both jobs at an internet cafe around the next corner. I convinced the owner that our parents had sent us away to get work experience and underbid the other kids looking for the job. The owner threw in a place to stay if we do two shifts a day for the price of one. It's a great cover, and we've got internet access when we're not working, so we can try and figure out what's gone wrong. Tim strained to hear Adrian as they pushed their way through the crowd toward the cafe. Adrian, I'm not sure I can do this. Can't you just form another portal so we can go home? I wish I could, but there's nowhere to go. We are home, but history has been changed, Tim, and only you and I are aware of it. Adrian suddenly ducked through a glass door, surrounded by windows filled with flat video screens, flashing ads for online games, laptops, and junk food. Tim followed, and when the door closed behind him, the chaos of the street was replaced with the familiar hum of computer fans and the sporadic clacking of keyboards. They stood at the front of a computer gaming room, similar to the one that Adrian and Tim had frequented back home or maybe right here before things changed. Who knew? In fact, this could be the very one they went to, but Tim was still too disoriented to know. The front of the space near the windows was taken up by a series of small tables where people were sitting sipping coffee. In the back area, away from the light of the windows were rows of computers and game consoles. In the middle was a circular bar with stools and two large chrome espresso machines. Behind the bar, there was a young, dark-haired girl around Tim's age, maybe a bit older, 
who was tending to one of the coffee machines, making a latte for a customer. When she saw Adrian, she smiled and waved them over. That's a shift supervisor, Adrian noted. Your father owns the place. He's the one who gave us the jobs. Tim didn't seem satisfied with the explanation. Okay, I had to manipulate things a bit. The apartments upstairs were a subconscious suggestion. The rest of the story is true. They hire kids here, and we need to get off the street. Maya finished frothing the milk for the latte, poured it into a cup partly filled with espresso, and handed it to a middle-aged gentleman who was sitting at the bar reading a book on an e-book reader. Tim looked around and noticed that most of the patrons were middle-aged. Does anyone work around here? muttered Tim. Overhearing his comment, Maya added, You guys are the only ones dogging it. All these folks have working-age kids, so they get their afternoons off. Where are you from? Another planet? Maya rang the sail in on a small, overly complex cash register and turned to face the boys. Adrian looked at her and nervously laughed. That's only half true, Maya. Remember, I told you he had an unusual upbringing. His parents were hippies and worked even when their kids were of age. Weird, huh? Tim, this is Maya, our shift supervisor. Good to meet you, Tim, but you guys are late, and you only get to do that once. Hey, give us a break. We're stopped by bylaw enforcement, protested Adrian, but Maya cut him off. Doesn't matter why you're late. You're just late. Now, let's get going before we lose any more time. Adrian, you're in coffee, and Tim, I understand that you're good with computers. Maya picked up a beat-up clipboard from the counter and handed it to Tim. This is the maintenance schedule for today. You'll find all the tools and software in the drawer next to the cache. Now, don't stand there looking stunned. We've got to get moving if we're going to make our quota for the day. I don't want to get tagged for underperformance again. My parents will kill me. Tim was too shy to say anything. For someone his own age, Maya acted more like a cranky lunchroom supervisor than a kid. He took the clipboard, walked around the bar to the tool drawer, and examined what was there. The drawer contained nothing unusual. There were master installation discs for programs, sets of screwdrivers and pliers. Basically, everything he needed to do his work. He looked at his list. Station 5 needed the new hard drive. Replacing it and loading up the list of software would take him most of the afternoon. The familiarity of the work made Tim calm down, and time passed quickly. At the end of their shift, Maya showed Adrian how to tally and report their quota results. Apparently every business had to report at the end of each day to a central, local authority that tracked their results and assigned new quotas for the next day. Businesses exceeding their quota got a tax break, while those underperforming were taxed more. The theory was that this system encouraged growth while quickly driving poorly run businesses into bankruptcy. Maya's family business had generally performed well. They were located on a busy street where most of the adults had working age kids, so the cafe was always busy in the afternoon. Evenings were usually when the working kids came in, Maya explained. They were mostly here for the internet and the games, so the coffee bar was usually not that busy. She told Tim and Adrian that she had wanted to go back to school, 
but because her parents weren't wealthy enough, she still had to work days. They had hired the two of them to give her the evenings off so she could attend. Tonight would be her first time back to school since she was ten. Maya gave them some last-minute instructions, and with a smile that made Tim blush, she turned and headed out, leaving Tim and Adrian alone for the first time since they had arrived that morning. You're sure we're not in a parallel universe, Adrian? You didn't have time to complete your prep on Serez, so we could be anywhere. Tim commented when he thought no one was listening. Tim, look, for the last time, we're in the right place. I checked when we first arrived. We're in the right place and approximately the right time. Okay, maybe a month early, but something was changed here, and it's not one of my people. We're not allowed to do this, so I don't understand what's going on. After our shift, we can check the internet and see what happened. Somehow, the present has been changed. It wasn't a particularly busy night. There'd only been a handful of kids in to play games and drink pop. It was easy work, but the shift seemed to drag by. Adrian figured that they had barely made their quota, but both were glad when the last patron left and they were able to close up. Quota reporting was done at the end of the day shift, so Tim and Adrian turned off the lights and headed to the back office. The office turned out to be a small, cramped space, littered with computer parts and bags of coffee beans. Maya had allowed them to use her computer in their off time. So Adrian and Tim shoehorned themselves into the corner desk, where a rather obsolete desktop with an old CRT screen, perched precariously on a pile of old magazines, had been casually dumped. Tim looked at the setup with disgust, and began to complain. This thing is ancient. Maya told me it was good enough to surf with. Plus, it's the only computer that's not on the official hookup, so the bandwidth isn't metered. Adrian launched a web browser that neither of them had ever heard of, and went to look for a search engine. Like the rest of this reality, on the surface, the internet hadn't changed. The same companies or similar companies and websites existed. Here, AltaVista was the dominant search engine, and Omega the most popular computer brand. Many of the same online games existed, but time clusters had never been invented. Adrian did a search on both his and Tim's full names. What are you doing that for? Tim questioned. We need to know if we have doubles here. If we already exist, then we need to avoid ourselves, change our names, and keep out of our twins' way. That's the number one rule in cases like this. Avoid running into yourself. But it looks like there's no results, so we're probably okay. We don't have twins. Next, Tim and Adrian decided to look up a world map. All the countries and cities were the same, with some minor exceptions that didn't seem very important, so they turned their attention to history, searching for the key points that they remembered from school. The rise and fall of the Chinese, Egyptian, and Roman empires were all there. The French and American revolutions had taken place when they were supposed to. The Maya, the Toltecs, the Aztecs were there as well. They looked up all the great historic figures they could remember. Confucius, Leonardo, Copernicus, Newton, all had done what they were supposed to. And everything seemed correct until the late 18th century, when history started to change. On a small unknown island in the Caribbean, a trading consortium came into being. 
the island's inhabitants formed an alliance with the area's privateers. They offered safe harbor, and in return, the privateers ran trading missions, eventually giving up piracy in favor of the more lucrative spice trade that the island was rapidly becoming the center of. Through aggressive trading practices and treaties, the island consortium quickly became larger than the Dutch East India Company, which was driven into bankruptcy and disbanded. Its massive fleets of trading ships dominated the oceans, extending their economic influence throughout the world. No nation or kingdom could challenge them for fear of economic ruin. The alliance, known as GIA, stopped wars by refusing to fund them, so none of the great wars of the 20th century had taken place. The world had been relatively peaceful for 200 years. History documented the rise of GIA's influence in all matters of trade, economics, and finally daily life. Nation by nation, GIA had forced governments to relinquish control of their economies. Those who had resisted, like Great Britain, France, Germany, and the United States and Japan were driven into poverty during the first great economic uprising at the beginning of the 20th century. Eventually, none could resist, and GIA took control of all resources. Its rules dominated, and national governments could do little more than enforce the GIA policies. The Wikipedia entry for GIA noted the organization was covered by a mysterious administrative group that never left their head office, and in 200 years had never been seen in public. There was endless speculation on who they were and where they came from. The wiki article said that the most likely explanation was that the GIA were originally brilliant Near East merchants who had been blown off course along the coast of North Africa and swept away to the Caribbean. Once marooned on the island, the Gia merchants used their cargo of seeds to start growing exotic spices which flourished in the rich tropical soils. Having established a desirable cash crop, they then sought treaties with the main privateers in the area who had been preying on merchant ships. Another popular, though less likely theory, was that the island was the last remnants of Atlantis. This group of Atlanteans knew nothing of the outside world until one day a privateer landed on the island and forged a treaty with them that later became the basis of GIA. Using advanced Atlantean knowledge of human nature and trade, GIA was able to quickly dominate the world. If you could make yourself believe in Atlantis, this theory was the only one that adequately explained GIA's phenomenal success. An entire genre of books, plays, and movies had evolved around the mystery of the Gia leaders. There were too many theories for Tim and Adrian to read, but clearly Gia should have never happened, and they needed to find out more. Even in the age of the internet, Gia was surrounded by an impenetrable veil of secrecy. It was getting late, and there was much that Adrian and Tim needed to know to exist here so they turned their attention to researching the laws and rules that might affect them. They soon found out that this was no small feat. The GIA leaders were nothing if else highly bureaucratic, and they created rules and permits that covered almost everything. A new industry had sprung up around the bureaucracy. A group of professionals, a bit like lawyers, had emerged who specialized in maintaining and filing paperwork for clients. 
Most wealthy people had at least one full-time on staff to deal with the mountains of paperwork required. In order not to arouse suspicion, it turned out that there were several permits that Tim and Adrian should have. They already had their youth work permits, but to move freely around, they needed to get an exterior pedestrian pass so they could be on the streets and in the parks. They also needed the shopping ID number that would allow them to buy goods from stores. But this latter one required a financial backer who could guarantee their purchases. However, an exterior pedestrian pass was free and could be obtained online. The process to get one mostly involves signing an immensely complicated waiver that absolves Gia of any liability in case you were killed by a car, a victim of a crime, or if one of their products or services inadvertently harmed you. Once you accepted the waiver, you simply printed out a small card with your agreement number on it and kept it with you when you were on the street. As Tim worked on the forms, Adrian looked over his shoulder. Maybe you shouldn't use our real names, objected Adrian. It doesn't matter. Remember, Adrian, we checked. We don't seem to have existed here, so who'd care? Or who'd be looking for us? Didn't you once say honesty is best? And if we're stopped again, we don't have to fake it. You know how I get too nervous to lie. Tim completed the form and printed out two small permits. It was getting late, so both decided to turn in and continue the research another day. Tim didn't sleep well. His mind kept turning over events of the last few days. More and more he felt like he was trapped in a game or a bad dream. He drifted in and out of sleep until the warm light of the sunrise slowly began to make its way down the opposite wall until it touched his face. Tim got up and walked to Adrian's room. Adrian lay fast asleep. Although this Adrian talked and acted like his friend, Tim was having trouble getting used to his new appearance. Looking at him asleep, he was a stranger, and it made Tim feel unsure. Tim grabbed a pen and paper from the back office and wrote Adrian a quick note. He needed to see something familiar, so he was going to walk over to his old neighborhood, look around, and come back before their afternoon shift. Leaving the note on the side table, Tim went back downstairs and exited through the back door. He found himself in the filthy alleyway, stacked with junk and rotting garbage. The smell was so intense that it almost made him throw up. Even in the worst parts of his real hometown, Tim never remembered anything this bad. He held his breath and dashed for the street. Tim's neighborhood was not far away, just back down the main avenue a few blocks towards the park, then away from the river about a kilometer. Making sure that he looked like he had a destination in mind, Tim started out at a brisk pace so bylaw enforcement would leave him alone. Although the day was still young as Tim left the main avenue, the refreshing coolness of morning was missing. As he passed by buildings, he could feel them still radiating yesterday's heat. It was going to be unbearably hot. Maybe this hadn't been such a good idea, thought Tim but he was determined to see something familiar and prove to himself that he was actually home. Tim passed the playground where he had fallen off the swings when he was six. His mother had been so mad at him that she didn't let him go back alone for the rest of the year. Things were indeed almost the same 
but it was the subtle differences that made this world feel like a rubbing from the surface of his own. The tree Tim and his friends had played under on hot summer days was there, but it was a rented, tortured version of itself that looked as if someone had been poisoning it. Lawns and gardens and even houses looked more ragged and run down. Tim walked until he came to his old house. It was not his parents' car in the driveway, nor his family name on the mailbox, and judging from the toys in the front yard, this family had a young girl. What had started out as a way of finding the familiar and calming his mind was turning into a bad waking dream, so Tim turned around and headed back to the Europa Café. He arrived about an hour before noon, and avoiding the back lane, entered through the main front door. Inside, there were two large men in dark suits standing on either side of the coffee bar. Their eyes slowly circled the room. The morning patrons buried their heads in their newspaper trying to avoid their asset stare. Tim looked to the back, where the office was, and saw a third man, partly blocking the office doors. Behind, Tim could make out Maya and Adrian. Maya looked frightened. She was talking quickly, trying to argue with the man at the door. Adrian saw Tim in the corner of his eye and tried to wave him away, but the man noticed, turned around and gestured for one of the men leaning on the coffee bar to bring Tim over. Before Tim could react, a large hand was around his arm and he was being dragged over to the office. The man by the office door, who was obviously in charge, smiled. You must be Tim. You saved us from the necessity of a costly citywide search. If you all cooperate, we can still keep on time. Adrian, Maya, what's going on? Tim asked as the big man who had grabbed him roughly pushed him into a seat near the office door. When you applied for your passes last night, the system flagged you and the computer owner for pickup. The chief operating officer himself has intervened and has requested your presence at head office. Looking at the three of you, I can't understand why. That type of request is very unusual. It breaks all the normal protocols. And I get in a very foul mood when protocol is broken. There's three times the usual paperwork to fill out. With the COO involved, who knows how long it will take to register all the appropriate policy waivers and reports. It could take weeks of paperwork for a few minutes of work. But let me warn you. A request for a head office meeting is virtually unheard of. The last one was over 30 years ago, and the attendees were never heard from again. The big man gestured for his cohorts to gather up Maya, Adrian, and Tim and started for the door. 30 years, he angrily muttered. Maybe they only do it every 30 years because that's how long it takes to do the paperwork. We'd like to thank Carol and David for contributing their ideas and helping to write this story while we were on holidays. We're happy to be back from our break and look forward to the coming year. And we'd like to encourage you to help shape the story by contributing your ideas for future episodes, either by visiting us at our website at makeshiftstories.com or by emailing us at makeshiftstories at gmail.com. We are taking ideas for episode 8 and beyond. One sad note, on January 5th, 2009, David's grandfather and my father passed away at 91. Henry loved to tell stories, and both David and I loved to hear them. 
so we have decided to create a special episode dedicated to him. This will be in addition to our monthly podcast, and we hope to have it ready within the next two weeks. Thanks again for listening, and if you like the podcast, please tell your friends about us. <laughs>